Well, good morning. It's great to have everybody here today. Um, I remember when some of my children were about somewhere between the age of two and three. And if you have young children, you're probably going to be able to connect with this. That they would ask the word why to virtually everything that you say. Do you remember that? Honey, it's time to get dressed. Why? So we can go down and eat breakfast. Why? It's uh, good for our health. Why? Because that's how God made it. Now just hurry up and get ready. You, you, you know what I'm talking about, right? And, and sometimes you just go like, stop it. You know. And yet, I kind of feel like that two-year-old. Because I have never stopped asking God why when I look around me. Are there any things that you have ever asked God why about? One of the stories that comes to my mind, I was uh, engaged to Sherry. And um, I was living in the Philadelphia area and she was flying into Newark. And I had to pick her up at like at 7 in the morning and I delivered papers. So I had to get up at 3 to get the papers done early, all the stuff, you know. And um, it, it had rained terribly the night before. And sure enough, I was barreling too quickly through my my run, but nonetheless, came over a crest of a hill, and there was logs and rocks everywhere, and I blew out my tire. It, it Actually, it was worse. It was my dad's car. So all kinds of issues here, you know. Pulled off the road. I had to change the tire. I had problems changing the tire. Couldn't figure out where the spare was. Finally got the spare. Got it on. As I bent over, I split my pants. Then it just started to rain like crazy, and I cut my hand on something in the bra. I don't know what. And I, I still remember, you know, kind of standing there holding the bar, saying to God, in the rain with my split pants, why are you doing this to me? Have you ever asked that? And, and for something like that, you get over it, and life goes on. Thank you. It's been almost 20 years since my sister, who died in her mid-40s, suddenly contracted cancer, and in six weeks she was gone. And I remember often asking myself, in the midst of all that and after, God, why? She was stellar. In every way, she was stellar. Why did you take her? Do you know what I'm saying? So I, I, I can't unpack with you all of the whys of this world. We, we could do a huge series on it. What I'd like to do, though, over the next two weeks is just explore two questions with you. Today, why do bad things happen to good people? Next week, why do good things happen to bad people? And these are messages, actually, that I have preached here several years ago, but I thought we had this little break. This might be a time to come back to those again, just because of some things that have even come to my mind uh, recently. So let's, uh, let's look to the Lord in prayer, and then I, I want to explore this question with you. Why do bad things happen to good people? 
Father, we know that you are good. We know that you are great. And yet life is a mystery. Father, take your word, take the book of Job, and use it to refocus our lives afresh on you when we ask the why question. In Christ's name I pray, amen. What do you think people fear most? Put up with for you just three, I think these are three of the biggies. Think about your own life. Do you ever fear the loss of financial security? I do. Can't tell you how many times when my kids were young, six children tried to feed them and on the salary I was making and thinking like, God, I don't know how I'm going to do this. Now they're grown and God has been faithful. But do you ever fear loss of relationships? Literally, it could be a loved one that passes. Or it could be a relationship you're currently in with a mate or a child that's strained. Loss of relationships. And loss of health. I think, think honestly, if we went around the room, all of these three concerns would trouble us. Is that fair? The beauty of the Scripture is it takes these three concerns and it takes us to the book of Job and it says, look, let me show you what this looks like in the extreme. And let us learn from what Job experiences in the extreme so that it might help us in our own lives. So I I know if you've been around Christianity any period of time, you know the story of Job. But let's, let's read it again like it's the first time. And try to feel what are they going through? What is it like to experience this? So if your Bible, if you have your Bibles, I ask you to turn over there. Um, Like I said, this is not a teaching class, but but just so you kind of have a, because we're going to zip through the whole book here in about 30 minutes. So hold on. Terry was asking me beforehand, should I bring a sleeping bag? No, no. I think we'll we'll try to do it in 30, Terry. I, I don't know, whatever. But But here's the basic structure of the book. There's what we call a prose section. And then there's what we call a largely poetic section in the middle, which for most of us, we know the first section and the last section pretty well. We kind of move rather quickly through that middle section. And in that middle section, there's these ongoing cycles between Job and his friends. And it's like a tag team, you know, where One friend comes at Job, and Job responds, and the other, well, that goes through three cycles. Um, And and so we're going to talk our way through that generally, and then we come back to the last section, which is God's ultimate restoration at the end, and some of the questions that come from all that. But here's how I want to kind of frame the book. We'll look at the setting, and as we work through the plot, what I want you to notice is some of the things which come at Job, which become tests for Job. Personal loss, physical pain, and inadequate theology. Watch as we walk our way through. So if you have your Bibles, let's read from Job chapter 1. 
I just want to read the first five verses to kind of set the scene. Scholars debate exactly where Job lived, um, probably east of the Jordan River, Dead Sea area, but debated, to be honest with you. And he probably lived around the time of Abraham, ballpark, okay? Listen to what the text says. In the land of Uz, there lived a man whose name was Job. This man was blameless and upright. Now, now notice this. We don't know who the author is of Job, but the author is looking at this guy's life and saying, this guy is stellar. He's not saying Job is perfect. There's no such thing. What he means is Job has a relationship with God, and he lives the life of repentance in which his sins are confessed, and by God's grace, he's seeking to walk with him. But the writer says, Job is a righteous man, not on his own, because of his relationship with God. He feared God and shunned evil. Here's the other one that just takes me back. A couple verses, Satan is going to be talking with God. And you know what God says about Job? God says, have you seen Job? He is a blameless, holy man. Can you imagine that? I mean, isn't that what you want in your life? Where God looks and says, Doug Finkbeiner, he is blameless. Now, if you think that, that makes me happy. If God thinks that, like, I'm off the charts happy. So, so there's no question. The writer says this about Job. And in verse 8, God says this about Job. That's amazing. And he's also really blessed. Look at verse 2. He had seven sons and three daughters. My, my eyes almost dropped down to the next page where it had the word hundred. I almost had 300 daughters. He didn't. He didn't. He had 10 kids altogether. Okay, not 300. All right. He owned 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, which would be 1,000 uh, of them, and 500 donkeys, and had a large number of servants. He was the greatest man among all the people of the East. This guy was loaded. I mean, if you met him, you would say, Bill Gates of the ancient world. He's the guy. He's rich. He's wealthy. And you'll find as you read through the book of Job, when Job makes different comments about himself, you'll find out he's incredibly gracious. He feeds all kinds of poor people. He makes sure those that are oppressed have justice. I mean, this guy is stellar when you look at his life all the way through. It's an incredible fella. He's not rich for himself. He's rich for the good of others. Now, he's, he's my kind of guy. Love to have him in the church, wouldn't you? <laughs> Love to have him as my neighbor, for heaven's sakes. His sons used to hold a, a feasts in their homes on their birthdays, and they would invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. When a period of fast, feasting had run its course, Job would make arrangements for them to be purified. Early in the morning, he would sacrifice a burnt sacrifice for each of them, thinking, Perhaps my children have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. This was Job's regular custom. He was like a priest of the family, if you will. This guy was stellar. 
And, 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 and as the book opens up, he is a godly, blessed man. The next section, the plot itself, where we have this tension, it begins with, I don't know how else to say this, but in chapter 1 and 2, think of like a split screen, will you? Where we're going to pop back and forth between the unseen world, the supernatural, and the seen world, what we actually experience. And here's what's really important. Job never knew what was going on in the unseen world. Do you realize that? Now, we'll come back to that at the end. That's very, very, very important. Verse 6. And don't worry, I'll speed up here. You're saying, uh, Finkbeiner, you're still in chapter 1. Okay, well, just stay with me. We'll be okay. All right, all right. One day the angels came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came with them. The Lord said to Satan, where have you come from? Satan answered the Lord, from roaming throughout the earth, going back and forth on it. The Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? Can you imagine that? God says, do you know Job? There is no one on earth like him. He is blameless and upright, a man who fears me and shuns evil. And then Satan turns, doesn't he? So, of course, he does that. Because you're the best deal in the universe. He walks with you, you give him children. He walks with you, you give him sheep. He walks with you, you give him goats. He, yeah, of course, you give him land, you give him servants. The only reason Job is faithful to you, God, is because you bless him. If you take anything away from him, I guarantee he will curse you to your face. He will walk away from you and say, who needs you? If you can't work my side of the street, I'm out of here. That's what he'll do. You're just a good deal, God. Verse 12. The Lord said to Satan, very well, then, Everything he has is in your power, but on the man himself do not lay a finger. Then Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. Split screen. That's the unseen world. Now we're back here. Listen to what happens. And, And I want you to watch as these waves hit upon Job. That... Two of these waves come because people are evil against him. And two of these waves just come from natural disasters. We can't always explain it, right? Sometimes a wave comes because people are just downright cruel. And other times they get caught up in a hurricane like Dorian. Right? I mean, explain that one. I don't have easy answers for that. Listen to the waves. Verse 13. One day when Job's sons and daughters were feasting and drinking wine at the older brother's house, a messenger came to Job and said, the oxen were plowing and the donkeys were grazing nearby. And the the Sabaeans attacked and made off with them. There's people just doing cruel things. They, They came in and they stole 
They put the servants to the sword, and I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. And I wonder what that would be like for Job. He's just going, wow, my, my, my men have died. All those animals gone. But before he could even catch his breath, look at what verse 16 says. While he was still speaking, another messenger came and said, the fire of God fell from heaven. That's a natural disaster. So you have this lightning strike. And burned up the sheep and the servants, and I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. Marauders. A lightning storm and a fire that just destroys everything. Look at verse 17. While he was still speaking, another messenger came and said, the Chaldeans formed three raiding parties and swept down on your camels and made off with them. They put the servants to the sword, and I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. And at that moment, Job thinks to himself, I'm financially destroyed. I mean, in the ancient world, so much of your money was tied up into agriculture and farming. And in, 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 in a period of just a few short, an hour or so, not even, it's all gone. It's, it's all gone. And as he's taking all that in, notice what verse 18 says. While he was still speaking, another messenger came and said, your sons and daughters were feasting and drinking wine at the, oldest, at, at the oldest brother's house when suddenly a mighty wind swept in from the desert and struck the four corners of the house. It collapsed on them, and they are all dead. And I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. That's the hardest blow of all. Look, if you empty my bank account tomorrow, I'm sad. Take my home, I don't like it. But don't touch my kids. And in this short period of time, it's all gone. Financial stability, gone. Relationship with those that you love, gone. So what do you do? What does Job do? Notice what the text says in verse 20. At this, Job got up, tore his robe, and shaved his head. Folks, he was grieving, rightly so. Then fell to the ground and cursed God. Is that what the text says? That is what some people would do, folks. He fell to the ground, the Bible says, in worship. It said, naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will depart. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. And in all of this, Job did not sin by charging God with wrongdoing. That's unbelievable to me. I, I can't tell you that that would be my first response. I, I, I pray it would. But I don't know. For, the, for him to say, God, everything is a gift. Everything. I bless your name. 
this. It's amazing. Is, is that not amazing? Next scene, chapter 2, verse 1. On another day, and remember, the great test was this. Would Job curse God? On another day, the angels came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came with them to present himself before him. And the Lord said to Satan, where have you come from? Satan answered, from roaming through the earth, going back and forth. The Lord said, have you considered my servant Job? There is no one on earth like him. He's blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. And he still maintains his integrity, though you incited me against him to ruin him without any reason. Satan responds, skin for skin. A man will give all he has for his own life, but now stretch out your hand and strike his flesh and bones, and he will surely curse you to your face. The Lord said to Satan, Very well then, he is in your hands, but you must spare his life. Split screen. Back in the unseen world again, God says, do you see this man's integrity? And Satan says, yeah, yeah, yeah. You took stuff away from him out there. You affect him, his physical life. Forget it. He, he's going to cut and run. God says, I give you permission, but not to kill him. Verse 7. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and afflicted Job with painful sores from the soles of his feet to the crown of his head. Did you ever get a boil? I've had a couple boils in my life. It's been several years, praise the Lord. And I've only gotten one at a time. In other words, I've never had more than, I've never had multiple boils at the same time. But I just know this, depending upon where you get it, it affects everything I do. Like every waking hour, every step, I'm thinking of one boil. Can you imagine from the crown of your head to the sole of your feet, everywhere boils. Job goes on to explain, as the book actually develops and won't be able to read it all, here's some of the things that he says about his pain later. Along with these inflamed sores from the crown of his head to the sole of his feet, there's constant itching. The skin color keeps changing. A total loss of appetite, a loss of strength, a loss of weight, difficulty in breathing, a foul breath, fever, ongoing incredible pain throughout everything. Becoming, he says later, I'm now down to literally being skin and bones. And in the midst of all that, he says over in chapter 19, I feel like I've lost all of my friends. In other words, I feel totally alone. Do you know, folks, I, I have found in my own life and when I've worked with people, there is an aloneness that comes with physical infirmity, isn't there? Because it doesn't mean that people don't love you and all that, and I get that, and, it's all, and we should, but it still feels like a little bit of a bubble. That's kind of hard for people to break through. And Job is able to say with all of this, there's a bubble and it's just like, I'm so alone. I don't know where God is. And I, 
And I'm not alone when I think of people. Incredible pain this man goes through. Verse 8, Job took a piece of broken pottery and scraped himself with it as he sat among the ashes. He didn't know what else to do. It was so painful, all he could think to do is take the, that pot shirt and just... He didn't know what else to do. Maybe it'll relieve the pain. Yeah, oh, it hurts. But He didn't know what else to do. His wife, well, fortunately, she's going to help him. His wife said to him, are you still maintaining your integrity? Curse God and die. I don't want to be too hard on her, to be honest with you. She also lost her children. She also, and all she sees is her husband, who's always been a good man, in excruciating pain. And what she doesn't realize is she's a mouthpiece of Satan in that moment. And I understand from her own pain, so I'm, I'm not trying to minimize it. I, if I watched my wife going through all that, it'd be hard, okay? So I, 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 I want to be a little bit sympathetic with her, but she's still the mouthpiece of Satan. And she says, honey, tell God you've had it with him. And just die. Wow. So in all of that, that's what his mate says to him. He replied, you're talking like a foolish woman. Shall we accept good from God and not trouble? In all this, Job did not sin in what he said. Two great struggles. But I would argue with you that from this point to, for, for, through most of the rest of the book, we're going to find a third struggle for Job, and it's one that he partially succumbs to. Notice what happens in chapter 2, verse 11. While Job's three friends, Eliphaz, the Temanite, and Bildad, the Shuhite, and Zophar, the Namathite, heard about all the troubles that had come upon him, they set out from their homes and met together by agreement to go and to sympathize with him and to comfort him. When they saw him from a distance, they could hardly recognize him. Is that Job? They began to weep aloud. They tore their robes. They sprinkled dust on their heads. They sat on the ground with him for seven days and seven nights. No one said a word to him because they saw how great his suffering was. I have to tell you, that was the best thing that they did. <laughs> they came and they sat and they were just there. It's when they began to speak that things began to happen. Now, I'm not saying we shouldn't speak to one another, but we have to be very, very careful what we speak. But that was the best thing they could have done. And, and I want to say something else about these three friends. These guys love Job. So don't think that these are three guys who, hey, this is our chance to get back at Job, man. Let's no, they weep and they cry. They love Job. They're his friends. After this, at some point, Job begins to speak. 
And I don't have time. If I had time, I would love to read all of chapter 3 to you. Along with Jeremiah chapter 20, it may be the lowest, darkest chapter in the Scripture. Because in it, or at least it's right up there, Job basically says, why was I ever born? I wish I was dead. And he's just, he's just talking out of his great pain and sorrow. Remember I told you in the book of Job then, as you read on, three friends, and in three cycles like a tag team, what will happen is Job has just spoken. So like a tag team, one will say something to Job, Job will respond. Another, Job will respond. Another, Job will respond. Then they'll go back and, oh, how do you like that? Then they'll go back. Boy, I was close, Tom, but it's okay. Um, then, then they're going to go back and regroup and come back and do it all over again three times. And what's fascinating about these cycles is that as you read them, the critiques from Job's friends get shorter and shorter as a matter of fact, the last guy doesn't even respond finally. So it's, it, it's like they kind of run out of wind after a while. You know, they, they don't know what else to say to Job. But here's the bottom line that you find when you read here from chapter 3. And actually, let me just go back here. When, when you read here from chapter 3, from, from, from chapter 3 all the way down to chapter 37. And there's another young guy that steps on the scene by the name of Elihu. What happens is basically this, and here is the theological challenge. They all are working from the same foundation. You know what that is? Simply, good things happen to good people, and bad things happen to bad people. That was their underlying theology. They, you, you'll read some of the most wonderful stuff about the glory of God and his greatness in these chapters. These guys had great, uh, uh, said some wonderful things about God that just warm our hearts. But at the core, good things happen to good people and bad things happen to bad people. And Job, it just goes to reason, if bad things happen to you, guess what? You're a bad person. You got to repent of something. There's something you've done that God has done this because of that. The problem, Job, is you. And Job kept saying, look, 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 look. I'm not saying I'm perfect. But God is my witness. I, I, I'm trying to walk honestly and repentantly before him. I, I, I can't think of anything. <laughs> Job, Job. There has to be something because God does good when his people obey and when they disobey, he disciplines them. And if they're lost, he punishes them. Now, Job, that's, that's how it works. Well, if it works like that, and I can't actually identify anything I'm doing wrong because I, I really think I'm just trying to walk with God then maybe there's a problem with God. No, there's no problem with God because God does good things to good people and bad things to bad people. The problem's with you, Job. You did something wrong. I can't think of anything. 
I'm trying to walk with them. My kids are gone. I'm in all this pain. God, you owe me an answer. You have got to explain why you are doing this to me. Because if you are just, this ain't just. And you find, as you read from chapter 30 to 36, this begins to rub against Job. Again and again and again. Now, does he ever curse God? No. No. Does he walk away from God? No, he loves God. He just can't figure it out. Because he bought into this theology, good things happen to good people, bad things happen to bad people. And if that's true, and he can't identify the sin that he's holding on to, then there's something wrong with God. Come with me, if you would, to chapter 38. I told you we'd speed it up. This is what we might call the great reversal. God is listening to all this. And finally, God steps in directly and responds. The three friends and Elihu, they were off. They were wrong. Verse 38, then the Lord spoke to Job out of the storm. Bit of a scary moment. He said, who is this that obscures my plans with words without knowledge? That, that, that's not very positive, is it? Job, you think you know my way. You don't know anything compared to me. And what happens is God is going to speak to Job in two waves, twice. He'll speak, Job will respond, then he'll speak again, and Job will respond. And in this first wave, he does a variety of things, but one of the things he emphasizes is that he is omniscient and Job is not. He knows everything, and Job does not. Brace yourself like a man. I will question you, and you shall answer me. Wow. So, Job, you want to play Q&A? I'm going to ask you some questions now. Where were you when I laid the earth's foundation? Uh, nowhere. Tell me if you understand. Who marked off its dimensions? Surely you know. Uh, I, I, n- n- not exactly. Who stretched a measure- measuring rod across it? On what were its footings set? Or who laid its cornerstone while the morning stars sang together and all the angels shouted for joy? Job, do you know anything that I did in creation? Uh, No, I only know the results, actually. I wasn't there. And Job is, God is going to ask him a whole series. If you keep reading in chapter 38 and you read into chapter 39, 
Uh, even into chapter 40, what you find is God just asks him one question after a question. Do you understand this animal? Now I've seen it. I've heard about it, but I don't know much how. It, do you know how I created it? No, I, I really don't. Do you know how I did that? I, no, not so sure. How, nah, I'm not too good on that one either. And one thing after another, God just bombards him with questions. And look over at chapter 40 and verse 3. Because this is where Job responds. Then Job answered the Lord, I am unworthy. How can I reply to you? I put my hand over my mouth. I spoke once, but I have no answer. Twice, but I will say no more. And then we move into the second wave with God with questions. Now, folks, I want to take a moment just to say something. A cynic and critic of Christianity years ago, George Bernard Shaw, when he read through the book of Job, he had major problems with it. Major. And one of them is at this point. And he says, can you imagine a gracious God, in quotes, in which a man who has suffered so much, that God is allowed, incidentally, merely says, why? And all God can talk about is snowflakes and crocodiles. What kind of a God does that? What kind of a God do you say, I'm suffering, why? If he loves and cares, why wouldn't he tell us? Isn't that what they're supposed to do, these deities? Like, what is that all about? And one of the things I think you're going to find as we work through this God does something much better in this passage than answers the why question. You know what he does? He answers the who question. Job was saying, why, 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 why? And God was saying, let me tell you who I am. And so Shaw had it totally wrong. God doesn't have to give me answers for everything that happens in life. There is mystery to deity. What he does instead is he talks about who he is. Job, God is all-knowing and all-wise. And in this next few verses, in the second wave where God talks to him, we're going to find out that God is not only all-knowing, but he's all-powerful. God can do anything. Wise, knowing, powerful, and the last one we're going to find out is he's good. Is it hard to put those together sometimes? You better believe it. It's part of the mystery of the divine. And so in this next sweep that begins here in chapter 40 and verse 7, God says, brace yourself like a man. Hold on, Job. We're going to go one more round. Okay? I will question you and you shall answer me. Would you discredit my justice? Would you condemn me to justify yourself? That's a powerful question. Would I condemn God 
to justify myself. A lot of people do, actually. Do you have an arm like God's? Uh, no. And can your voice thunder like his? Uh, no. Then adorn yourself with then adorn yourself with glory and splendor and clothe yourself in honor and majesty because you can't. Unleash the fury of your wrath if you can. And, and, and then he has them look at different animals and running all the way over to the beginning of chapter 42. God, again, is either asking statements or asking questions, making statements or asking questions. So when Job gets done hearing, Job has no answer for the why. Because haven't you ever wondered, why didn't God just look at Job and say, Job, like there was this deal going back and forth between Satan and me. And I knew how good of a guy you were. I mean, you're my, you're my, you're my guy, Job. So yeah, I let him do these things that he could see that our relationship is based on real integrity and love, not on the things I give. Like, God could have sent, saved himself a whole lot of time here, folks. I, I just said that to you. He could have done that in four verses. And we could have been done and moved on. But he doesn't. He does not tell him why. Rather, he tells him who. And that changes everything. I will tell you at the end of the day, that is our great hope. But we'll get there. Chapter 40, look at Job's response. Then Job replied to the Lord, I know that you can do all things. No purpose of yours can be thwarted. You asked, who is this that obscures my plans without knowledge? Job's, Job gives his response, surely I spoke of things I do not understand, things too wonderful for me to know. You said, listen now and I will speak. I will question you and you shall answer me. Job responds, my ears had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. But Job, you never heard why. No, I didn't. I got something much better. I got the who. And in this last section in the epilogue, God restores to this man ten more children and double the animals that he had to start with. You know what Shaul says about that one? Remember I told you Shaul had two major questions and problems with Job? The first one was, why doesn't God answer his question? The second one, along with letting this happen in the first place, the second major question is, is this, or the statement is this. Shaw looks and says, this story is a travesty, and it's, it's unfair, and it ultimately curses people because most people never receive benefits and never have things turn around for them at the end. Shaw says, what do you tell the woman who struggles with cancer and dies? What do you tell about the people whose financial, they're financially ruined and they never come back? 
This thing has a Disney ending, happy-go-lucky ending. Life doesn't work that way, Shaw said. Life is hard, and for most people, there's not a happy ending. And that is where he is dead wrong for believers. Can I tell you, brothers and sisters in Christ, every one of our stories have a happy ending. I can't promise at this side of the grave. I, that's true. I agree with you. Sometimes yes, sometimes no. Can't, no promises on that one. But if you extend out our lives into eternity where we're going to be forever, this life is a, just a glitch when you think of eternity. We all experience a happy ending. And I would argue also to Shaw, the reason God, this story ends like this is because God is a good and gracious God, and he wants to do good things for his people. And if, if we don't feel we're getting the good, whatever that is, it's not because he's not good, it's because there's a reason that we don't understand. But when that reason is removed, all you find from him is grace and compassion and mercy. Remember what James says about this story in James chapter 5? Just a short comment. James is speaking about suffering and so forth. He says this in James 5.11. As you know, we count as blessed those who have persevered. You have heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. Do you see that? I read through the book of Job. I don't, Job does not get the why. What he gets is the who. Sovereign, all-knowing, all-wise, all-powerful, and good. That is who he is. You may not understand in the mystery of this life how all that works together but it doesn't change the reality. Here's the point. In the mystery of suffering, mystery of suffering, worship our sovereign God who is wise and good. Do you know, I may never get the reason why God allowed my sister to die in her mid-40s. You come up to me afterwards, okay, Doug, specifically, why did that happen? You know my response? I have no idea. I don't know. One day it'll make sense. But you know what I love about this passage in Job? I love the fact that he didn't know what was going on either because he didn't need to know the ultimate reason. He didn't have to know this is happening in the cosmic world. and didn't need to know that. All he needed to remember was the who. And I can take that in my life and run with it till I stand in his presence. But I want to say one other thing. We know a whole lot more than Job ever knew. Do you realize that? 
You keep reading through the Old Testament, and then you come into the New Testament, and you talk about, but God and suffering, and God says, I will literally write my son into your story, who will then, if you want to talk about a truly righteous one, truly righteous, there is only one, and that's our Lord Jesus Christ, who was sinless. He was the truly righteous one who was truly abandoned on the cross of Calvary so that you and I would never have to be. I know so much more than Job. Job, I know what God has done in the person of his son. I've read Romans 8. James spoke on it a couple weeks ago. I've read Romans 8, and what I see all the way through there is a sovereign God, a world that groans for redemption, but a God who is with us in the midst of our suffering, always up to something, and can be trusted because he is for us, and he's never against us. I can add to Job's story so much. Now, having said all that, God is still a mystery to me. But I know so much more about him, which changes everything. So why do bad things happen to good people? I don't know. I, I, sometimes I think I might know, but sometimes God lets us know and we learn how God uses it, and that's wonderful. But ultimately, we often may not know. And that's okay. Because the who is more important than the why. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the hope we have in you and in everything we learn in the person of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We cannot talk about suffering and not think of him. We cannot talk about hope and not think of him. We know so much more than Job. The who has been filled out in graphic details for us in the coming of your beloved son. Father, I pray you'll minister to my brothers and sisters here today who know you as Lord and Savior. Whatever they're struggling with, may they be driven back to the who, even if they don't always understand the why. And Father, for any that are here today that have never become children of God, they have never accepted Christ as Lord and Savior. Father, their only hope is in the gospel of Jesus Christ, to bow the knee, to find forgiveness in Him alone who has died for us and risen from the grave. To know the joy and the wonder of being your child and learning what transformation is all about. So, Father, do your good work. Encourage your saints. Draw unbelievers to yourself. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.